Hi, Creative. It's Lauren here. I just want to remind you that if you love the podcast, the best way to support the show is by leaving it a rating and review on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. And uh, another great way to support the show is by sharing it with a friend or posting about it on social media. If you do post it on social media, tag me at Lauren LaGrasso and at Unleash Your Inner Creative, and I will repost to share my gratitude. And remember to tag the guests too so they can also share. Okay, now let's get to the show. How do you deal with being creatively blocked? There's all sorts of tools out there we hear about. Taking a walk in nature, time apart from the project, going on an artist state. But today's guest tells us that our creative spark comes from our least judgmental self. And that a way to bring out that version of ourselves is by simply getting high. The guest today created a cannabis company that was specifically made to help people access and increase creativity. His ideas on what cannabis can do to challenge your default way of thinking could be a fun and easy way for you to bring out the creative spark you've been missing. Welcome to Unleash Your Inner Creative with Lauren LaGrasso. I'm Lauren LaGrasso. I'm an award-winning podcast host and producer, singer-songwriter, public speaker, actor, and creative coach. And this show is meant to give you tools to claim the word creative, take fear out of the driver's seat, and love yourself enough to pursue whatever it is that's on your heart. On the show, we explore the creative process and journey, mental health, self-development, spirituality, and everything it means to be a human and become more human. And before we get into it, I just want to let you know that Unleashed does have brand new cover art. That's right. After three years of doing this podcast, by the way, I missed our three-year anniversary. So happy anniversary. It was at the end of February. Thank you for following the show and being a part of the community. You make my dreams come true and I love you. But uh, yeah, we have new cover art and it's really cool. So check it out wherever you're listening. Make sure to take a look. Go to our socials, comment on it. Let us know what you think. I'm super curious. It's great because it was truly, you know, something I made myself pretty much with the help of many other people in our community like Emily, my producer, and my friends Kelsey, Johnny, and Paria. So really proud of it. And I hope you enjoy it. I think it's much more applicable to where the show is today. Now let's get to the show. Today's guest is Sean Gold. Sean is a business and marketing expert known for being the former chief marketing officer of MySpace. He oversaw the company's growth from 25 to 110 million users worldwide. His career has taken many different paths in the marketing space since then, including becoming the CMO of Lowell Herb Company and an advisor to companies like MedMen and Charlotte's Web. Given his extensive experience in the cannabis industry, Sean was led to found his own company called Pilgrim Soul. It's an emerging lifestyle and cannabis brand focused on optimizing human creative performance in both business and everyday life. Basically, this cannabis was specifically crafted to help you unleash. Sean believes that cannabis can help us tap into our innate creativity. He also developed the Creative Thinking Journal, which you can use whether you're enjoying cannabis or not, to help people get unleashed and really get in touch with their inner creative and put aside the inner critic. I wanted to bring Sean on the show because he has such a similar mission to mine, to show everybody, no matter their industry, upbringing, or walk of life, that they are creative. I do it through a podcast. Sean does it through cannabis. But it's a similar, if not identical, mission. Sean also talks about the future of creativity in an increasingly digital world, the killers of creativity, and how cannabis can actually be used as a tool for focusing 
and nurturing your creative energy. If you want to learn how to explore your mind and get unblocked in a fun and unique way and even implement some genius marketing, we go into that too, then this episode is for you. Now here he is, Sean Gold. Sean, thank you so much for being on the show. I am so excited to have you here on Unleash Your Inner Creative. Lauren, I've been looking forward to this. We can't wait to talk about creativity and creative thinking. Same. And I can honestly say I've never prepared for an interview quite in the way I did for yours. I actually, I got high last night <laughs> and I wrote in my creative thinking journal from your company, Pilgrim Soul. I wrote a song and you know what? I think it really helped. It helped with what? <laughs> Every, I mean, first of all, it made me happier. Second of all, like it's interesting and we're going to deep dive into all of this in a little bit because I want to go back and talk about your creative journey a bit before we get into deep on the pilgrim soul. But the interesting thing about it is most of the time when I've smoked cannabis or like taken an edible, I'm just wiped out. I mean, I'm, I have fun. I'm like being quirky and funny and weird, but it hasn't helped me cultivate productivity along with my creativity. Hmm. It's like I'm kind of creative in the way I'm talking and the and my thoughts, but I'm mostly just like on the couch hanging out. Um, and this actually activated me and helped me get a lot done. Oh. So I, I'm really excited to delve into it because I know you blended it for specific purposes and to help people do these kind of things, to help them activate and unlock and and take action. So yeah, it was pretty cool. Oh, great. One, that's excellent to hear that it's actually working the way we intended. And two, love to talk about it. Yeah, me too. So we're going to get into Cannabis for Creativity and Pilgrim Soul. But first, I wanted to go a little bit into your tech journey and your time as a CMO, because I know you were head of marketing and content for MySpace uh, your bio said you spearheaded the development and implementation of marketing initiatives and campaigns for MySpace during its growth from 25 to 110 million users worldwide. That's wildly impressive. I was one of the users. <laughs> I loved MySpace back in the day. I spent absolute hours on there as a high schooler. And um, I just wonder if you would take us through a little bit of this journey. First of all, like what incited your love of marketing in the first place? You know, I think it started on as a kid. I, I remember, and I'm trying to, I was trying to track it back, but I used to just say everything yeah. that came out of my mind. And I, I once got in trouble because I was, I was saying someone was talking about their cat getting spayed. And I was like, oh, my mom was spayed because I knew she had like her <laughs> tubes tied. And I, my dad was like, I got in trouble for it. I was like, I don't like, why? why? I, it's the truth. And my, I had this like older mentor sort of babysitter was like, you just can't say everything that comes to your mind. You have to think, you have to think about what people's reactions are going to be to what you say, what their motivations are and, and what you say elicits in them. And so I think I started to think about that more than the average person mm. and empathize with people much deeper than most people. And that really led to a, you know, a career in marketing and I always, when people say like, how have you had these, you know, big jobs in marketing and what was the secret to your success? I always say empathy. Mm. And now in the 21st century, I say data and empathy. <laughs> With those two things, you're unstoppable. Totally. And, and data alone, is, that is great for leading empathy, but it's not for, you can't rely on data alone. There's so much, there's so many things that you don't see in the data that you really have to test through just intuition and empathy. And they work really great together. 
like it, it, I was also chief marketing officer of a company called Textile and we had Fabletics and uh, Rihanna's brand, Savage by Fenty. You know, we had more data than any other fashion company because it was subscription fashion. So people really let us know who they are, you know, and what they wanted. And we watched buying patterns and things like that. But we still went to people's homes and went through their closets and talked to them. We had so many meetups with our members to, mm. to really, there was just so much you can't see in data that human empathy and sometimes data triggers, you know, areas to investigate for empathy. Anyway, so that's, that's how, why I got into marketing is really, I think I became really focused on what are too much on what other people think. Yeah, that's interesting. And I want to circle back to that, but I'm curious about this data and empathy thing. Like we all pretty much, if we're running a small business or a brand or a podcast, have access to some sort of data. How would you advise a creative listening to this right now to do what you have done so successfully at all these companies, which is incorporating the empathy and the data? Like, what are you doing there? How does that work? Well, what, you know, what's interesting is chief marketing officers on average have like a two year stay in the past because they're very like, it's very opinion driven. You know, and if sales are down, then, you know, maybe the marketing is not good enough. And, you know, with less data, everything was a little more variable and you never saw a lot of like heads of marketing going to the CEO role. Now you see many, many more because of data, because they're able to understand who the audience is, what they want, are sales happening? Are they scaling? Why are they scaling? Who's buying? Um, why are they buying? What, what's selling? What's not? How can you guess what's going to, how can you see around corners? So data has really created, it's a power center. When you have access to information, you have the power in the company. You know, the the, mar the marketing person of today really owns a lot of the future of the company and, and really owns a lot of the insights of the company where before it was sort of like, uh, you know, you hired the wrong ad agency, you know, we're not selling enough, like, okay, let's try somebody else. And where does the empathy come in with those numbers? Like, how is that manifesting to come together? So empathy comes into play when you're like, okay, I... I think who would use this product or you know, you're creating a product from scratch. Who's going to use this? Like most of my businesses are businesses that haven't been done before. Uh, I started was early in the blog space, early in social networking, early in online storytelling with Wattpad and subscription fashion. Almost every business I've ever been in did not exist before, you know, it was a startup in a, in a new, entirely new category. So a lot of empathy and experience goes into, okay, Who's this for? How are we going to launch this? We make educated guests based on you know our experience, and we put out a minimum viable product, and see what works, and get feedback. Let people know this is beta. Mm -hmm. You know, if you let them know this is like, and you invite them to be part of the experience, and then you get the data and what people and and feedback, and and then you kind of iterate and grow, and and again, it's. You get the data and then you're like, you have to make empathetic decisions and insightful decisions based on that data. So you keep, you know, getting closer and closer and closer to the target. Mm. And then sometimes the target will switch based on exogenous variables like the economy or the weather or 
social justice or whatever it may be that just changes the environment or culture around that product. Yeah. So you've worked in so many startups and I have to think you have some ability to see things that are not quite there yet, which makes sense that you're in creativity because I feel like that's what a lot of creativity is, is creating something from nothing. But what feeling do you get like in your body when you know something's a hit? Like what's the difference between seeing something you're like, whoa, that's something's going on there and oh, that's interesting, but I don't know that I want to get involved with that. Like, how do you delineate between the two when you're deciding what to do next? Well, the first sign is everyone thinks I'm crazy. (laughs) (laughs) You know, you're onto something when everyone's like, I don't know about that. Uh, Because people don't like change. You know, they they don't want something new. Like, they like the status quo. It's a great question. Like, what feeling? I get a great feeling in my body. I get this, like, epiphany feeling that I like this eureka feeling, like I've discovered something, um, you know, and I want to share it. And I, uh, you know, there's just people I'll go, I'll go to that are more my creative friends, my ideation friends that I'll talk to about it. Um, but it's, I'm trying to think of like the, the feeling that I get, you know, cannabis, even my, my brand, which is focused on cannabis for creativity. I'm talking to people. I'm even talking to investors today and, and they're like, I don't know if creativity is a big enough category for cannabis. <laughs> like, well, how about this? I have a book that's one of the top 500 best-selling books in America right now about being creative on cannabis. How, is that a leading indicator enough for you? Or half the songs on Spotify would be gone without cannabis. Hip-hop, jazz, rock and roll, EDM. You know, there's just so many, so much content has been inspired by cannabis but so that's what I mean. There's usually a confederacy of dunces against you that often helps you know you might be on the right track. Yeah. And I'm curious how you deal with people who don't get it, because obviously, you know, you're doing your thing anyway. And I'm sure you, you've you been in this industry, in the tech and pitching and startup industry for long enough, where you probably have a certain level of confidence that you can get in front of someone who does get it. But I, I've been actually advise, advising a couple tech companies recently, and I really believe in both of them, obviously, if I'm putting my name on it. But sometimes I get out of meetings with people and I'm like, how do they not get it? Like, it's super <laughs> frustrating because to me, it's so clear. How do you deal with that in the moment when someone's saying, oh, I don't think creativity is big enough? <laughs> I mean, I'm so, I believe in this idea. It's like, there's ideas I've had that I, didn't believe in as much, or I was unsure, but this is like a no brainer. There is no question in my mind that creativity is this essential skill that is gonna be more and more and more important as time goes on, as AI becomes more prolific, as outsourcing becomes more prolific, as people just want more choice and more meaning and story and symphony and everything they buy and own and participate in. So, you know, I have a presentation on my brand and I was pitching these guys and there's some funny moments. Like I have some jokes that are, you know, they're pretty, you know, everyone pretty much laughs. And I was telling, I was doing this this slide and going through the story and these guys were like, not even laughing at any of the jokes. It was like, so I started a a running commentary in the meeting. Like (laughs) I got omniscient. I was like, guys, you're not even laughing at the jokes here. Like I was like, I, I started sort of getting meta on them and like getting into who they are and what they're about. I was like, this is not, and I'm, I, I just said, this is me, this meeting is not going well. 
So you heckled them. That's good advice. I like it. <laughs> I had to heckle them. I was like, heckle the venture capitalists. That's how it works. Once they're not going to buy, yeah, you know, you might as well have a good time. Yeah, <laughs> I love that. You know what? You know Julia Cameron, who wrote The Artist's Way. Oh, oh no, but I love The Artist's Way, and I use that to model a bunch of my stuff. I don't know her personally, but I love the book. She's the best. She talked about how she wrote a book and got really good reviews, but then the New York Times gave her a really bad review. So she decided to write a mean poem <laughs> about the reviewer. Oh. And I think it's very similar to what you're saying. Not to say you're being mean, but like, you know, if they're not going to give you anything, you might as well take your power back and yeah. have as much fun in the situation as you can. It's cathartic in the, in the least case scenario. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I pitched my, you know, it's a classic story, but I pitched this journal to like six publishing companies and then everyone said no. And it's, you know, I've sold in the per last year over, done over $4 million in revenue on this one journal. It's amazing. You know, it's just, it's, it's nice when you can be right. I'm wrong plenty of times. <laughs> just ask my wife. Uh, <laughs> there's that George Carlin, you know, quote, if a, Man is talking in the forest and there's no woman to hear him. Is he still wrong? <laughs> can only appreciate that if you're married. I, I think probably yes. <laughs> I think the trees would agree. He is incorrect. He is. I love that. Uh, I was, you know, stalking your Instagram page prior to this. And I love that uh, thing that said, like, I'm not going to say I dislike being single, but I do miss getting critiqued on how I load the dishwasher. I'm going to say I don't mind being single, but I I do I'm not sure how I'm going to load the dishwasher with no feedback whatsoever. So true. I mean, how would you do it? I I really related to that one. Um you know the one on there, the one one of my posts that got the most likes was kind of it's in the creative field. It was um I'm going to get a tattoo that says Helvetica but written in Ariel. And the first woman that corrects me on it I'll ask her to marry me. <laughs> and people were like, I'm that person. That's so specific. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You gotta be, I'm, I want to marry someone who knows typography. There you go. You know what? It's all about knowing what you want. I love that for you. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, wait. I do want to ask you one question about the marketing world. So can you give us an example of one thing, one initiative you took at any of the companies that you've worked for in marketing that you were really proud of? Like, I would just love to hear, because I know I heard you talk on a podcast about how you like put USB drives into bracelets. Like, yeah, when you were at MySpace. Yeah, that sounded so cool. Well, that was an idea. So I oversaw MySpace music, which was very important back then. Broke a bunch of different artists, you know, and it was a great discovery platform. But it was clear to me that the song was the it was really marketing is going to be more and more difficult to make money off the song but it was essential it was essentially marketing for the artist mm -hmm. and they would make money off of touring and and other things and then the that it, the, your fans were really essentially a tribe of people and there were different levels of the tribe and the idea of recognizing the tribe in various different ways and letting them into various different circles. So this particular idea you're talking about was having, you know, a thousand bracelets with a USB drive in it that, you know, had the, the actual album, 
but you know, it was limited edition and it was a keepsake and it was something, you know, that was a piece of, you know, the culture of the band that you could own. And if you had it, your name would go on the website. So there'd be official recognition. And then I even think like all, you know, as many fans as possible should be like recognized in some kind of real digital format in, in some particular level. So there was these, there were a bunch of ideas that we were using to kind of find ways for artists, frankly, to make money, but also to bring reward and recognition to the user base and, you know, again, different levels of access to the artist. Now that's happening, you know, when you, you can buy the VIP meet and greet at the concert, or I think that what's what the amalgamation of, of uh, all this, if amalgamation is the right word, culmination is NFTs. NFTs are like, now you're buying a piece of art, a piece of uh, artist, you know, maybe your favorite artist, like, you know, makes paintings or you can buy the official song lyrics that they, you know, the a copy of like the, you know, the notepad that they, you know, wrote the song on or whatever that might be um, in some kind of NFT format. And, you know, you own it and you're registered as an owner. That's kind of what we were, I didn't know that's where we were going when we were talking about this, but being registered on the website or having a unique piece of content is really kind of where the NFT is, you know, has gone or what the NFT I think is a part of it anyway. Yeah. I mean, that idea is so brilliant and it, it does seem like it's a direct, you know, road toward what NFTs are today for people who maybe don't think in a marketing way, what would be your advice for how they can start to see the world more through your eyes? Like, is there a place people can go to study? Is there something they can do? How can they get better at marketing for their business or creative exploit? There's so many aspects of marketing. So it's hard to answer that question because it's, there's digital marketing, there's advertising, there's promotion, there's, you know, point of purchase. And like, there's just so many different considerations of marketing. Um, I was a really terrible student and I'm not a great listener. <laughs> so it was just odd because I'm all about empathy, but I actually use cannabis a lot to focus and we can get into that. But I mean, I read so many different books on, you know, marketing and ideation and innovation and creativity. And anytime I had any kind of project to do whether like my early days of like, okay, we got to create a brand. I was like, I just went online and studied just branding and brand process and, mm. and ran all kinds of different processes and tested them to see uh, which worked. And in many cases, I pretended like I knew what I was doing until I actually knew what I was doing, which is, you know, what a lot of people do in this world. Yeah, it actually really works. <laughs> I got to say, that's what I did when I got into podcasting, too. And then eventually you pretend enough, you actually know it's wild. Yeah. Early in my career, I was, you know, at an ad agency and one of the first digital ad agencies. And I created our own branding process, but I basically borrowed it from four other different companies in their process. And I, I kept saying it and practicing it and it eventually became truth and became mine. And, you know, I was working with companies like Mattel and Nestle and, you know, and they believed me. Mm. So it's like, okay, I must, I must know what I'm talking about. Yeah. I mean, I'm like a classic ADD, you know, person who is bright, but not a good student. And which is very common with entrepreneurs. Yes. And 
you know, I kind of hacked my way. I couldn't get past human resources at like Condé Nast, you know, but the only people who would hire me were people who had like startups who, you know, I, I was really good at imagining things. And so I, I got hired by startups because there was no roadmap. You know, when you, when you have these more established companies, there's a roadmap and they, they want people with process systems and structure that know how to follow that roadmap. I really didn't have that. So I was like, let's create our own roadmap. And, you know, not knowing what to do gives you a lot of leeway <laughs> in building a new businesses and imagining new processes and new systems, and new structures, and new ways of doing things. That's it. Now that I'm older, I do appreciate some legacy process to save me a lot of time. Yeah. I mean, there's benefits to both, but to reiterate what you said for anybody who's like struggling with imposter syndrome, if you have a passion and you're willing to work hard and you're willing to study and, and figure it out and you're creative and you can see from the end, that's invaluable. And I think so often people who are in the system and have been working in that system for so long miss so much because they're like, well, this is the way we do it. And we're always going to do it that way. But having someone come in with a fresh perspective can really invigorate a business and change things. So yeah, those startup people were clearly smart. <laughs> yeah. The enemy of creativity is really, is, is a lot of things, but it's, you know, default thinking. One of the biggest things I do to focus on creativity is I'm constantly challenging my own default thinking. You ask me a question. That's why sometimes I'm delaying my answer, even in this conversation, because you asked me a question and I'm thinking, oh, I know the answer to that, but should that actually be the answer? Because do I have any new perspective that I change that answer? So I'm, I'm really open to new perspective because I'm willing to change my opinion on anything. Any, anything I know is really a leaping off point to something else. And I constantly you know, have this thesis where there's an open mind, there's always a frontier. Mm. And I'm constantly trying to challenge, you know, as we get older, we learn things and we like, okay, that's how that's done. And then if anybody asks us that question, like, oh yeah, I know that. Let me pull that from my file. That's how that's done. And, you know, you're like not really open to changing that opinion or, you know, you have a bias toward negative thinking yeah. because we just get older and we like challenge stuff that's new and it's just easier to break things down than to build things up. We don't go with our guts anymore. You know, we, we second guess ourselves. We don't take risks because we're scared of failing we're scared of being judged. Mm. So, you know, judgment and lack of risks and relying on default thinking and not going with your gut and negative thinking. These are all creativity killers. So when, when you define that default thinking is one of the things that inhibits creativity, how did you start challenging that within yourself? Was there a certain process you took? What's your advice for someone who's starting that journey? Well, <clears throat> I probably smoked a lot of cannabis and, you know, ate mushrooms and did things like that. Like cannabis for me is a truth serum. Mm. I can't lie to myself on cannabis. We, you know, we, when we go through, I've said this before, when we go through daily life, we have our rationalizations and things that we depend on just to scoot through life and protect ourselves. And they're necessary. But when I smoke cannabis, I have a second narrative that runs through my head where like, you, know, you can say that, Sean, but you know, that's just rationalization and that's probably not reality. And so, I mean, after using cannabis, having the awareness that it's, it's a problem, I now it's, it's innate. 
with me. But early on, it was just opening up my mind. Travel is really great for challenging default thinking, uh, talking to people who do things, you know, different things from different places. And again, you know, psychedelics can be great for challenging default thinking because in some sense, they're like traveling, you know, for your mind. They mm. force you to re-examine things. And, you know, so many people are doing ayahuasca these days. It's like, you know, in, in eight hours, it's like 20 years of therapy. Wow. And many, many people say that. Huge savings. <laughs> yes. A huge savings, exactly. <laughs> I love that. So, okay, let's talk about how you pivoted into cannabis. What was the impetus for you to do that? Yeah, so my career has been in mostly building tech companies, uh, consumer-facing internet companies. That, but, but in my career, I've used cannabis for ideation and innovation. And again, almost every time I had to come up with some big idea, I'd come up with the idea and I would then get high and go over it again and get like a second opinion from myself. So I've authentically used cannabis for creative thinking for many decades. And I also get pretty bored in business. So I will come up with a, you know, a new idea, be challenged to create a new business model. We come up with that business model, it's working, and then it's a lot less interesting to me. So what was really interesting about the cannabis space is it was a whole new model with plenty of problems to be solved that aren't gonna be solved for a long time. And a lot of obstacles, like you can't advertise cannabis and mm. you know, there's so many nuances of obstacles. So I, the idea of overcoming those obstacles and finding hacks around those obstacles was really interesting to me. So when I was still at Textile, I started helping out the Stanley Brothers in Charlotte's Web uh, in Colorado, great CBD brand. And then I started advising uh, MedMen in the early days, like 2016 or so, helping them with some marketing stuff. And I was, a friend of mine had started this brand called Lowell Herb Company, which is probably still the best packaging that's been created in the cannabis category. And so I was advising him. And then he asked me to come on as their head of marketing. And they were the, you know, the largest pre-roll company in California by about 3x which essentially makes them the largest pre-roll company in the world and so to, to the opportunity to jump into the cannabis space at the top was interesting to me and to learn it there's some issues with the company at the time but I was like I just did it anyway it was like I needed to learn the guts of the cannabis marketing ecosystem you know from the inside so that was kind of you know how I leaped in and then I I bought a bunch of URLs around cannabis and creativity because I've always, I really wanted to focus on that. And I, I was looking for a partner and I uh, did a deal with Notorious B.I.G.'s son who was building a brand called Think Big, focused on creativity and social justice. And we put out a limited edition blend. I gave him seven strains uh, of cannabis that index high for creativity and said, smoke them and rank them. He picked his top three. We made a creative blend out of those three, gave a portion of the proceeds to the California Prison Arts Project. Mm. And we sold like 10,000 packs in a week. And we saw, I saw product market fit there. So I decided to really launch my own brand, Pilgrim Soul. Um, and a pilgrim is a spiritual traveler. And uh, Pilgrim Soul comes from a Yates poem that I used to seduce my wife like 25 years ago. Highly effective. 
it, it's still I'm still still together. Yeah. <laughs> Yates was also a cannabis user, like ate hashish with Monet. Wow. You know, back in the 1880s, 90s, and he writes about it. So. Oh wow! I would have liked to be at that party. There was a bunch of great artist writer parties, like the Club Day Hashinish, I think it was called, of uh, Andre de Balzac and. But all these famous writers in Paris of like the 1840s would eat hashish and share ideas. A lot of great writers. Like they found some of uh, Shakespeare's pipes with hemp traces in them. Jack London, George Orwell, probably not a surprise. And then you get into your modern writers who are like uh, Maya Angelou, I mean, Toni Morrison, you know, so many writers have used cannabis for. Um, really to enhance their writing. Yeah. And I love that you, so you have a journal and we'll, we'll talk about that too. It's one of the main things that you uh, are currently working on at Pilgrim Soul. And I love that in the first pages of the journal, you show all these amazing creatives throughout the ages ha who have used cannabis, because I think in the past I've thought, well, I think the war on drugs really worked on me. First of all, totally. like I was really scared. I didn't even try pot till I was 22. And it's wild because that's what taught me I was a songwriter. I smoked too much pot and then I sang every thought I had for two hours straight and I kept saying, this is the real me, this is the real me. <laughs> and then a year later when I started writing music, I was like, oh, that's what was happening. So uh, yeah, so I think it unlocked something in me for sure. But I still had a feeling in me until very recently of, oh, if I do this, I'm using it as a crutch, you know, I had a lot of um, probably unfair biases that were in my consciousness still. So it felt good to read that because sometimes I still struggle with that and see like, oh, all these highly intelligent, incredibly creative innovators throughout the years have used this to enhance their natural ability. So I thought that was just such a beautiful way to start out the journal. Yeah, thank you. Um, exactly what you said. There's been... A lot of the war against drugs, people have, I think, mischaracterized cannabis in a very significant way. It should not be a you know, schedule one narcotic. That is crazy. And the plant has so many benefits. Again, anything, you know, anything used to excess or used poorly is bad. So it, it can go wrong, but uh, used in moderation, it can be a great, you know, enhancement to life. Um, so, yeah, we want, I wanted to normalize I wanted to help people normalize the creative process and list people like Barack Obama and Steve Jobs and, you know, Maya Angelou and, you know, all these writers throughout history and, and entertainers and thinkers, Carl Sagan in science, um, who have used cannabis for creative thinking. And then it's important to note that this brand is really about my brand and my whole platform is about creative thinking as opposed to creativity. Because when people say, mm -hmm. think of creativity, you think of songwriting or or poetry or art. And creative thinking is about, it's about innovation and ideation and solving problems and just doing things in new ways. Everything around you is a product of creativity. Like I have cement floors. And at some point cement was a creative project. Someone's like, oh, how do we mix these things together to make a more durable, longer lasting thing? So they put two things together in a new way to make a something new and useful and it was cement <laughs> but it could be the chair you're sitting in or almost you know anything you can come up with a story about how it's the output of creativity 
Yeah, I really believe creativity is just seeing something that wasn't there and then creating it, you know? I think it's our birthright, and I love that you're helping people. I know you're saying creative thinking, but I think you're helping people claim the word creative because we are all creative. Maybe we don't have, like, an arts job, Mm -hmm. but it's something that we are born knowing how to do. It's an innate part of the human experience. Totally. Um, Tell me about the different strains that you have and what they help people do, what they help them unlock. Yes. So in the blends that I gave you, so how we, we created four different cannabis blends, creative imagination blend, a creative focus blend, a creative awareness blend, and a um, creative reflection blend. And the creative reflection blend, I was certainly the artist way was very much in mind. Creative reflection blend is about looking inside yourself for creativity so there's sort of like more, it's the most indigo leaning, if any of them are, uh, more mercying in there. Creative awareness is riffing on the world around you for creativity. Creative focus is combining logic and creativity. And creative um, imagination is about really divergent thinking, ideas without judgment. So I work with this company called Abstracts Labs, the multiple PhDs in analytical chemistry that focus on terpenes and cannabis analysis. You know, they're like surfer scientists from San Clemente. And we analyzed over a hundred different strains that index high for creativity based on survey data. And by survey data, you know, you'll look at say a site like Leafly and it'll show this strain index is high for creativity and focus and sleep and you know, so on and so forth. And that all comes from survey data. So we kind of scraped that data and then bought the flower, the actual flower, cannabis flower. And we analyzed in multiple strains of multiple versions of the flower because sometimes people mislabel flower. So we analyzed, we made 3D models of the terpene and cannabinoid profiles of these different strains and mapped them back to the different effects Mm. that people say they feel, whether creativity again for focus or um, imagination or what it be. And we sort of grouped these specific strains together to create these nuanced creative blends. But, you know, you can still smoke, you know, I say that you can still smoke your our creative imagination blend and think about your ex-husband or your mortgage or your car payment. You know, there's no guarantee you're going to have a creative experience if you're not in the right headspace. So that's why we created the curriculum to go with it and the journals um, as guardrails on the experience. We also have games and other things to enhance the efficacy of cannabis and creativity. And you don't have to be high to use the journals. Yeah, no, this would be good however you are. I mean, I wrote a stupid, there's a thing I was telling you before we got in here. I wrote an entry about uh, a stupid poem. I wrote a stupid poem. You told me to write a stupid poem in the journal. So I did it. And it was so much fun. And I was not high. And it was still really good for me because I got out of my head. I got out of my email. And just like to do this throughout the day when we're in the monotony of life, it's such a great tool. Yeah. Just to correct you, I asked you to write a horrible poem. <laughs> oh, sorry. Horrible. Not stupid. Somehow horrible seems better. Mine was stupid. <laughs> yeah. So this is set up like, so you can't fail. If you set out to write a horrible poem, it's really hard to fail. So, and we want people to take risks. Some of the exercises are more challenging than others, and they're all different. You know, they all really use different types of like observation or imagination or abstracting. 
pattern recognition, analogies, all these exercises are taken from the top ideation brainstorming books like Game Storming or Tinker Toys and or even The Artist's Way. There's there's a creative reflection section that was definitely inspired by The Artist's Way. Time for Diet Coke break. Yes, yes, yes. Da 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 da. I really need it up. Love what you love. Diet Coke. Get runway ready. A chance to win the ultimate shopping experience plus hundreds of prizes curated by Kate Moss. Promo packs in store, 18 plus, T's and C's. Visit coke.co.uk slash break. So, okay, like, let's say I'm creatively blocked right now. What is the best out of, out of the four blends that you have? Which one would be the best to use? And and is there like a certain part of the journal that would be best to get in there and write on? No, I think, I mean, the creative imagination blend, I would probably say to start, that's more like for divergent thinking. Mm-hmm. You know, creativity, the en- another enemy of creativity, there's so many enemies, <laughs> is judging your ideas as they come out. We said judgment earlier, but convergent thinking where you're sort of like trying to see how your ideas the practical application of your ideas divergent thinking is just ideation coming up with the ideas no judgments and you really need to do that you know as part of the creative process and even when you have like think tanks and you're getting together as a team at your company it's really a good idea to have everyone do the ideation by themselves because there's so many elements of group think that destroy creativity you know, the boss in the room or, you know, it's always good to like, here's the task, come up with your own ideas, bring them to the meeting. Then we're going to, you know, we can even riff on each other and think about different ideas. And even in the meeting, it's great where you have people take different roles. Like, you know, I'm, you're the idealist, you know, you're the practical person, you know, you, you know, you take like different angles on the subject and everyone like has to think in that particular persona. That's a classic ideation technique. So, I think divergent thinking blend is great, but, you know, again, it's like the ground rules for the journal are, you know, not to make mistakes, to laugh at yourself, which is really important in every aspect of life, to stretch yourself, enjoy the process, avoid perfection, avoid judgment, avoid self-doubt, challenge default thinking, stay open and positive and encouraged and, and focused. And then if you get stuck, procrastinate, (laughs) daydream, go for a walk. Yeah. I think that that's one of the most underrated tools of the creative process is procrastination because sometimes it's just not the right time to deep dive into your big idea. Sometimes, I mean, you even say that. So I was flipping through the journal trying to find this. You talk about the incubation period. I feel like that's a period so many of us skip that so many of us need in order to get to how something's supposed to execute. Yeah, you know, the general creative process is preparation, incubation, illumination, and verification. Illumination is like the eureka moment. And that's what kind of I was alluding to before when I, you know, when you have that idea, like how do you feel? Um, Preparation is everything you've done in your life to get to that moment. You know, if you're an interior designer and it's all about, you know, your references, what you know about interior design, and you get a new project and you potentially study that project. And incubation is kind of like going through the project and the ideas, thinking of stuff. And then the illumination, like when that idea happens, 
And when you put some, some you know, previously existing idea together in a new way and you have that epiphany, um, and then the verification process is, you know, was that a good idea or was I just stoned? Or even if you're not stoned, like it's important to sit on your ideas, let them mellow, and then go back and really sort through them and see which ones really make sense and test them. Mm-hmm. But don't don't start verifying them as they're coming out. That again, that's a bad idea for just for ideation and creative thinking. I love it. You talked about um, how you have basically a crew of people you bring your ideas to and they kind of help you. So you said you've got your your non-high self and your high self, but then you've also got a group of people that you use as ideation partners. How did you go about cultivating that group of people and what would be your advice for finding that whoever is listening in their own life? Well... <laughs> It's come from a long time of, I'm just thinking of the people that I go to and I go to the different ones. Most of them are not going to judge me on the idea. Like I have some friends who are just like wicked smart, very logical and and open. And they'll look at the idea and they'll like, they'll know that I'm just, I, I come up with some crazy ideas. So they, you know, I don't have to worry about them thinking I'm crazy. And they'll like, look at it and I'll get their perspective on the issue. I'm just thinking about this guy, Adam Goldenberg, who's head CEO of Textile. And we disagree on a bunch of stuff. And, you know, he's cognitively flexible. He's a wicked smart guy, but he can be wrong, mm. which is important. There's a lot of smart people can't be wrong um, or have trouble being wrong. Um, and then there's people who are just writers or different kinds of thinkers. I try not to go to people who I know are just going to agree with me. Yeah. You know. It's funny, when I first moved to Los Angeles, I came from New York. I really loved the irony of New York. And there was a less degree of irony in Los Angeles relative to the East Coast, or at least certainly New York. So I would have this like litmus test that I would ask people to see if there were someone I wanted to talk to. And I would say, don't you hate when people ask a question and then answer it themselves? I do. (laughs) And if they didn't get that, subtle joke i'd be like this is not going to work this is going to be just a long conversation so the people that i go to have to at least get that joke they have to see multiple they have to understand multiple entendre and see things from different angles and be able to look behind you know doors and so i just cultivated those people over time by how they reacted to me yeah so if I could break it down, I think you you want people who don't have the same exact viewpoint as you, but maybe have the, a similar sensibility or end goal, but they can see it from a different point of view. They're not just going to blow smoke up your ass, mm-hmm. but at the same time, they're not just going to tell you no, because that's not helpful either. Yeah. And, and often if it's a real idea that I really need help with, I'll try to find someone with an area of domain expertise and go to that person mm-hmm. who's also someone I, again, know to be lucid and open. Because you find people with domain expertise like, nah, can't do it that way. You know, you got to find someone who's like, oh, yeah, that would be great. Like, I never thought about that. That could be a real good workaround for this issue. Right. Yeah. Who won't just approach everything with negativity bias. It's important. Yeah. Okay. I love this, too. I listened to an interview you did earlier. You talked about your business and you gave two words to your business. You said, if you had to define your business in two words, it would be creative performance. How did you find those words and why are those the words you use to describe Pilgrim Soul? Well, the brand is about helping people 
and you know the output is really helping them enhance their creative performance to enhance their lives to one experience their you know a more fulfilled just personal life and just creativity because creativity in a sense defines us individuals a lot of us don't get paid to think about the things we like to think about and where that joy comes from is outside of work unfortunately um but Creativity is also the, a competitive edge in your work. You know, it's if you're a lawyer and you're not a creative one, you know, your job may be done by a computer or someone in Asia at some point. So creativity is really like one of the few things that, that humans do better than computers. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that can certainly be debated, that statement I just said, but the human brain can make nonlinear connections that computers don't make. And it can see things symphonically. So, you know, the mission of the company is to uh, help people tap into their innate creativity to enhance their lives, both, you know, personally and professionally. So we're all born creative. You know, the, the number one TED talk of all time is by Sir Kenneth Robinson. He talks about how schools have killed creativity and we desperately need to bring it back. And in that there's a study by this guy, George, guy named George Land, who worked for NASA, who was there in the 1960s, hired to identify their most creative scientists to put them on innovation projects. And he built this test based on divergent thinking. And he gave the same test to 1600 kindergartners and 95% of them tested expert level creative. Tested them again five years later in the sixth grade, 30% of them tested expert level creative. And by the time they were 15, like 5% of them. So, you know, where do we just lose that creativity based on expectations and fear of judgment and linear thinking and standardized tests and as we get adults lack of sleep so creative performance is you know really i guess that's how we keep score other than money as a company you know helping people enhance their creative performance i had a meeting with an investor who's like you can't boil your business down to two words you don't know what you're doing i said like, hmm Creative performance. Next subject. He did. He invested. Where do I sign? <laughs> That's wonderful. Like, did you do that right on the spot, or did you think about it a great deal before you said that, Tim? I did it right on the spot, but I could have easily flubbed it. I just took my mission and made it into two words. Yeah, I think that's a really good exercise. I'm going to try to do that. Yeah. Thank you to that guy and to you for passing along the story. So. A big thing we talk about on the show and that you've actually talked about a lot in this journal is fear. I really think, you know, fear is one of the top blockages to unleashing your inner creative. And so I'm always trying to figure out how to take fear out of the driver's seat of my life. Like if I can't get rid of it completely, at least putting it shotgun or maybe in the trunk. How do you work toward that in your own life? Yeah, I mean, the biggest fear for me is self-talk that comes at like three o'clock in the morning. Mm -hmm. And I say to my, you know, I'm like, this is not reality. You can go with this thinking it is not reality, you know, especially at three o'clock in the morning. And I wake up in the middle of the night all the time thinking about something I need to solve. And sometimes I'm just like, it's like the default problem. It can be like some real issue about making payroll or something or, or solving a big problem, or it could be like my neighbor, you know, parking in my lawn or something like like whatever the most prevalent thing in my head is and it's like just usually nonsense so i 
when I'm having my most negative thoughts, what I generally do is actually I put on a audiobook, 15 or 20 minutes. It's interesting enough to make me not think about what I was thinking, but not interesting enough to stay up for. I love that. When I was really stressed out, I had a startup and it was a really difficult startup, like 2008 in the crash. Oh, wow. And I would watch Ken Burns National Parks to like fall asleep. I would watch like nothing like a slow pan across Yosemite and like a Peter Coyote voiceover to just lull you and just leave that in Kundalini yoga. Ooh, that's a good tip. That's a really good tip. I was starting that right before the pandemic and then the pandemic happened and the place I was going shut down. Maybe I'll get back to that. I mean, Kundalini yoga saved my life. Uh, it was so stressed and the, you know, it's Kundalini yoga for those who don't know is really mostly focused on breathing. There's some stretching, but it's really breathing focused. And um, I mean, it just got me centered and just relieved the stress. It was, you know, super, super stressful time. My wife is having, we were in business together. She was having panic attacks. It was just awful. We were like, hadn't paid our mortgage for 10 months. You know, it was like, wow. we saved the farm though. I still live in the house. Oh yeah. And you have a beautiful house. You did it. You saved the farm in a big <laughs> way. <laughs> um, Sean, you're amazing. I so appreciate this. Thank you for all the amazing tips. I mean, we're going to get our Kundalini on. We're going to get our cannabis on. We're going to journal what you're doing is such a service for people who are blocked, especially, um, and who haven't claimed that word creative. And I'm really excited to continue to delve into your products and your Instagram and your way of thinking. And the, this journal is incredible, especially I really struggle with journaling. I always want to write down every single thought I have, but then I start doing it and I get bored, mm -hmm. completely bored. So this is a great way to keep track of my life in a more structured way. So anyway, I really appreciate you and I'm so grateful for what you're doing to help people claim their creativity because it is our birthright. Thanks for having me. I hope we made some sense and got some teaching moments in this. And if I can, and I've had a pretty successful career and I am just like a, a weirdo who's just trying things and hacking through things and making a ton of mistakes. So if I can do it, your listeners can do it. We believe in you. <laughs> All right. Thanks, Sean. Bye. Thank you so much for listening. And thanks to my guest, Sean Gold. For more info on Sean, follow him at Sean Gold on Instagram. And if you're interested in Pilgrim Soul and the Creative Thinking Journal, check out the website pilgrimsoul.com and follow Pilgrim Soul at pilgrim underscore soul underscore creative. Thank you so much to Unleash producer Emily Shulmanovich. You can follow her at We Can't Find Emily. Thank you to Liz Full for the show's theme music. Follow her at Liz Full. And again, thank you. If you like what you heard today, remember to rate, review, and follow the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Share the show with a friend and post about it on social media. Tag me at Lauren LaGrasso and at Unleash Your Inner Creative, and I will repost to share my gratitude. Also tag Sean at Sean Gold and at Pilgrim underscore soul underscore creative so he can share too. My wish for you this week is that you find ways to challenge your default thinking. Maybe that means finding people you trust to share your wild ideas with. Maybe that means writing a stupid or horrible poem. Or maybe it means enjoying a little bit of cannabis to help your subconscious mind take control. Whatever it is, do it without judgment or expectation. And I think you might be surprised with what you can come up with when you just let go. I love you and I believe in you. Talk with you next week. <laughs>